Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Oddy. This week, we are continuing our series over the Ten Commandments, titled Foundational Truth for a Confused World. Enjoy. Let's get into our uh, study for today. Well, we need to congratulate ourselves because after five weeks of doing this class, we're finally in the second commandment. So isn't that good? And so, yes, very good. And so we want to keep that momentum going. We, we were actually going to finish the second commandment today, and it won't matter if we only get halfway through the lesson. We are finished with the second commandment. So uh, the second commandment says, you shall not take... The name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, one of the things that we remember, and I know you do, from your confirmation instruction in seventh and eighth grade, I know you remember this because I know that you drill each other on this constantly in your adult life, is the two table, the two to the two tables of the commandments. The first table is commandments one to three, and the second table are the commandments four to What's the significance of that? What does that mean? What the, the first three commandments deal with what? Our relate, vertical relationship that we have, right? That it's us and God, right? And then four to 10 deals with what? The horizontal, which is our relationship with each other. Which of those is messier? Depends on who you are. If you're human... The, the, the messier place is probably four to 10. If you're God, the messiest place is the place where the human intersects with the divine right there. And so you think about it from that perspective, that God's idea of what he was going to do with the fact that you have human and you have divine God's idea was that he was not going to stay in heaven and then just kind of stay up there and go uh, look down at the humans and go, oh boy, what a mistake I made. All right. He kind of tried that with the flood. Right. I mean, when the flood, when the flood was, you know, he's looking up at heaven and everything's just going to, you know, what in a handbasket. And, and he's, he's thinking, I, I just probably need to start over here because things have gone too far south. But, you know, in order to keep a remnant of those people who had faith and, and were uh, true to their, uh, their, in terms of their faithfulness to God, he said, I'll, I'll save them. But then those eight people are going to be the start over, right? They're, go- they're going to be the ones that repopulate the earth. And if they do it, because they're all believers, if they do it and do it well, then, then the world will be in much better shape way after that than it would have been in the beginning. That didn't work out so well because human nature being what it is, is that it doesn't take very long for us to just gum it up. Right? So then eventually God said, you know, the, the best way for me to handle this, the messiness of people's relationships with each other and, and their relationship with me is for me to insert myself into the human population. And that's what he did. See, that's what Jesus is about. Jesus became what? He became one of us, right? Human like us, and yet divine at the same time. And then we know the story of why Jesus came and what he came to do. So as we now work our way through the second commandment, we're still, the focus is on relationship with God, right? But that our relationship with God informs our relationship with each other. So it's, even though there are two tables, it's not like, oh, he gave one to three, and then like six weeks later, he gave four to ten. He put them all together with the idea that, that how we live our life with God and what the, what the uh, impact of God's life with us is, that that translates into our life with each other. That's the idea, okay? So last week in our last session, we talked about the first commandment, which was, you shall have no other gods before me. And, and one of the reasons why it took so long to get through that, that, uh, that commandment, I think, is because that's the fundamental foundation. And in our world today, everybody and his brother has a million opinions about 
is there only one God or is there many gods or is there no God? And those are the kinds of things that are informing people in terms of how they are today. So uh, point number one is that everyone serves one God or another. It's either the true God or it's the God of self. Even if you're atheist and you say there is no God, who is your God? Yourself. Yeah. I mean, we're built, human beings, I think, are created in some sense built to, to, uh, to serve something. And that that something or that someone greater than us uh, is going to make an impact uh, on our lives. So it's either you're worshiping God as he reveals himself in the word or you're imposing yourself on that definition of God. Number two, serving the God of self is ultimately defeating because it offers no eternal security. See, what do you do with the fact then that everybody dies? I mean, I guess you could say, well, you die and then that's it. And there's a lot of people that do, okay? But just because you think that and just because you believe that doesn't offer you any eternal security in case you're wrong. And you're kind of waiting until the moment of to figure that out. So ultimately, there is no, there's no security. And then the third uh, point is, uh, is actually a quote from, uh, from one of the guys I know at the uh, seminary. He's now the president of seminary, and he says this all the time. He says, it's a great time to be the church. Have you thought about that this week? As you think about all the chaos that unfolded on TV with just all of the uh, Supreme Court stuff and just the uh, political stuff and and all the people that are protesting, all the different things that are going on, the, sh the sheer chaos of it. It's, this is a great time to be the church. What's so great about it? What? He's still in control. God's still in control. At the end of the day, that's, it's not who wins or loses because God's in control. Okay? Do what? There's a lot of people out there that need help. Yeah. Thank goodness none of them are in here, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people. Okay. And so what is the, what is the help or what is the message that the church can bring to chaotic times, to times when, when there's a lot of clamoring for control and clamoring for, we got to do this and we got to do that. What's the message or what's the, uh, yeah, what's the message that the church can bring to that? Pardon? Yeah that there's a lot of hopeless people out there. And when you have hopeless people who don't necessarily have the comfort that we would have in Christ and, and in God, then if I don't have that, then I'm going to have to find some way to assert that for myself. I'm going to have to have some way of creating that for myself. And what ends up and can end up happening is that I will run over you in order to get that for me. Okay. So, um, pretty, uh, pretty, uh, intense week. How, did any of you watch that on TV? Any of you? Yes. Come on, admit it. Yeah. And, and we're just going to draw an end to that. And to some degree, kind of shake our heads. At least I did shaking my head going, Holy cow, what is going on here? All right. So let's uh, do a little opening discussion here. The second commandment deals with God's name. So it occurred to me to wonder, like, what, I mean, number one, what's, what's the importance of a name that we're going to talk about that. But the chart that I, uh, that I found on, uh, on Google is the, the list of the top two baby names in the last hundred years. And this is according to Social Security. Okay, so, so um, that's where the source is for this. So when you look at the names there, and then you think of the era in which you were born, it's, if, if your name is one of those, then probably somebody looked in a, the baby book and said, okay, this is the one we want. So you don't have, I mean, if you want to share, you can, but I'm a child of the 1950s. And so my parents must have looked in the baby book, the names and said, okay, James, that's an excellent name. We're going to give him because in the 1940s, it was also James, and they must have thought that that name was so profound and powerful that they said, we want to give him that name because there's nobody in my family named James. So it wasn't a, uh, 
It wasn't a family name that was transferred uh, over to me. Anybody else? Does this resonate with anybody else? Yeah. What do you notice about the difference between the names early in the eras and then uh, getting later, like even now and maybe 10 years ago? What do you notice about that? More biblical. Biblical is kind of coming back. Um, So you see that. And and, uh, of course, biblical is in James, too. But but I was noticing in the in the female names as well is that it gets a little bit more a little bit more creative as well. So it's just kind of interesting to think about names. Is there any part of y'all's name that is in that is a family name? Were any of you named after somebody? Okay, both of yours are. Okay, uncles. So they kept the peace that way, didn't they, Glenn? That was why. Yeah, that sometimes is what happens. Anybody else have a name that's? You have a name, Mary, too, that's, yeah. So, so sometimes it's the middle name. Sometimes that is the name that's associated with that. Yeah. Okay. And then were you ever embarrassed by your name or wish that your parents had given you a different name? Anybody ever happened that before? Yeah. Okay. And so then you were like mad at them forever. Um, when I was a kid, everybody called me Jimmy. And then when I hit puberty... I didn't want to be called Jimmy anymore. I wanted to be called Jim. And then when I got even older, then it, James was okay, but that always seemed a little formal to me. And then now, when I'm around some of those people that used to call me Jimmy, they call me Jimmy. <laughs> and that's even when I go back to Fort Worth and I'm preaching at St. Paul or something, they say, oh, Jimmy, that was really good, you know. <laughs> But now it's okay. So, I mean, to some degree, we all kind of, you know, you, uh, you feel differently about your name depending on, depending on where you are. How many of you have noticed that your middle name is reserved for when you're in trouble? <laughs> have you noticed that, Phil? You've noticed that? And is there anyone in particular that uses that formula in order to get your attention? Besides your mother? Yeah. Your wife does too. Yeah. That's a kind of a common thing too. So that middle, that must be the purpose of the middle name is to get your attention because there's some dumb thing that you did or some, well, as I preached in the early service, some dense thing that you did, right, is what it is. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's get into then the commandment itself coming out of Exodus 20. Where, uh, again, in, in the listing of the commandments, uh, this is listed as the, uh, as the second one. He says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So a couple little notes here. Taking the name is the idea of attaching God's name to something or invoking his name in some way. So if the name of God is taken or invoked in a way that is respectful of his name or that the purpose of that invoking is in in line with or consistent with the way that God would say it's okay to use his name. Okay, then it's okay. Then it's not in vain. But what vain means is that we're using his name in a careless way or a wasted way. And that's a very, I think that's a very helpful um, description of the way God's name is often used. Sometimes people use God's name in a way that sort of sounds like that they could really care less about the fact that they're actually talking about God. It's kind of that, that mindless way, okay? Sometimes it's habitual, you know, somebody grows up hearing God's name used in a bad way, and then they just use it. And, and granted, I think in some work settings, it seems like that that's more accepted or more allowed than it would be in others, right? But it's this idea of being, being disrespectful, and the connection of God's name to God himself is really what God's talking about is that if I use his name, it's the same as, as talking about him. And so notice what he says about that. He says that the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless. So God looks at this as a sin. People today, I think, to some degree say, well, that's just the way I talk. 
And there's a kind of a, a diminishment of that. There's kind of a minimizing of that, that it really doesn't make any difference what you say and whose name you invoke. In fact, some sense, God should just get over it. So from God's perspective, his name is equated with his person. So foundational number, uh, truth number 10 is that how you treat God's name can reveal how important God is to you. That kind of makes sense, doesn't it? If, if you respect the person who holds the name and that person is held in esteem by you, then the way that you articulate that person's name or the, the context in which you use his name is going to reflect that. It's going to reveal that, all right? And so there's a couple of uh, verses in, uh, in the Old Testament mostly that uh, sort of suggest that. In Isaiah 26, 8, says, Yes, Lord, walking in the ways of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. Jeremiah 34, 16, but now you have turned around and profaned, what? My name, right? Each of you has taken back the male and female slaves you had set free to go where they wished. You have forced them to become your slaves again. So this is a reference to uh, one of the practices in, in the Jewish religion was that then when a slave had been your slave for a certain number of years, if he had earned his freedom, then you were to let him go. And the, the practice that they were guilty of was they'd let him go and then the next day say, you're my slave again. And so because this was part of God's, <coughs> God's word, they were doing what? They were not just profaning God, but they were profaning his name. And then Psalm 20, verse 1, may the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Foundational truth number 11. The attitude of reverence can be diminished either by blatant disrespect or an overly, O-V-E-R-L-Y, overly casual view of God. How many people do you think today take God seriously? Richard? I don't think very many people do. What sort of indication do you have of that? Um... I guess when we, when we think about the weather. When we think about the weather. When we think about the weather. Okay. Okay. God. God. You know, it's like God couldn't possibly have anything to do with the weather that's happening. There's some sort of scientific. Right, okay. So are you, okay. You're saying that, I just want to make sure everybody can hear you. Um, if we say it's the weather, but we don't attribute to God, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, it's like, I guess it's the, when we talk about the weather, it's like they talk about it in the view that God created, God may have created the earth, but he is certainly not paying any attention to what's going on. Okay. Like he's kind of indifferent. There's actually a, yeah, there's actually some uh, beliefs about that, that where some people hold to this idea that God did in fact create the earth and then he set in motion the the physics of the earth, so to speak. And then he steps back and he's kind of like letting things play out whatever, however way he does it. There, that's actually a belief that some people have about that. Yeah. Yeah. Using, using the phrase mother nature. I know, I, I know I'm, um, and that's actually not scientific to say that that's almost more, you know, mother nature. I mean, that's almost like, like, like Greek mythology or something like that. I mean, but we kind of do that. I mean, again, is there, I mean, is that wrong? Is that, is that, uh, treating God as the creator? Is that, are, is that indifferent to God if we say it that way? Cause I think that's kind of common language to say that, is it? What do you think? It's in a lot of Disney videos. It's always mother nature. It's, you know, what is it? The Santa Claus, a lot of the different movies that have been come out that are geared towards, you know, the tooth fairy and there's mother nature. And now we're getting serious. When we talk about the tooth fairy. I mean, come on, <laughs> you know, let's, uh, yeah, but there, there is a kind of a, and some of it, I think again, comes out of our obsession in the world today 
that we don't want to offend anybody. We don't, you know, especially among Christians, we don't want to impose our values on anybody. So we will say, we will refer to God as higher power. We will say mother nature. We will say all kinds of things instead of saying what the Bible says, which is God, right? And I think sometimes that impacts us as Christians a little bit in the sense that we're nervous about that. Now, maybe with good reason. Maybe if you go online and you say God instead of mother nature, you're going to get 20 people showing up on your front lawn uh, protesting it. You know, I don't know. But, but it's just the idea of it. I think in some sense we're, we're a bit reluctant to give a, a clear witness about what it is we believe and even having it show up in these little ways that, that we're talking about. Well, let's see what uh, Jesus has to say in Matthew 6, 9. Jesus is, uh, he takes a high view of, uh, of, of how we say things with respect to God. He says, this then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So the use of the phrase or the term Father is not only a term of respect and love, but it also puts us in his place, puts us in our place, which is he is the father and we are the children. Yeah, so there's a relationship there. Now, this is kind of this second point is, is one that I encounter quite a bit. Not sure if you've had, if you've encountered this before. Some people seek to eliminate the term father because of abusive experiences that they've had in their own family or a feminist view, which downplays the value of men and fathers or somehow that the term father promotes paternalism. Have you run across that before? I have. And mostly where I see it is when I've been working perhaps in a therapeutic setting with uh, mostly women, but sometimes men, but mostly women, who have experienced abuse in their, uh, grow, in their growing up in the form of um, either sexual abuse or uh, verbal abuse or physical abuse or something like that, where the father, the image of father triggers such a reaction in that person that then when it comes to praying the prayer, our father, it's like a re-experiencing of that trauma in that moment. My, uh, I, so where do I go with that? Because I wear two hats in that moment. I'm a pastor as well as a, as a counselor. Where I go with that is to, that it's okay to recognize the failings of the earthly father. And it is, in fact, significantly important to do that. But at the same time, to emphasize the fact that the heavenly father isn't anything like the earthly father. And that to, to, to be able to pull those two together where over time that individual is able to see the difference. But initially it's very difficult for that person to even get through that part of the prayer. And it's almost like they have to say our father and who are, and it's just really tough. So to have some compassion for that and to have some patience with that, because not everybody grew up with the, you know, the father that was the image of this. Some, many people did, but the people that didn't, this particular one is very difficult for them. Yeah, so, oh, Tom. On December 8th, the Roosevelt Address Congress. Yes. For a declaration. After uh, Pearl Harbor, yeah. His last four words in his speech was, so help us God. That sentence has been eliminated from every reproduction, every reference to his speech. They no longer... It does. They edited it out. Yeah. Yeah. Which, again, is troubling, even if it's only from a historical perspective. You know, when somebody says that, his, that's part of history. Now we're going to take that out because it's offensive to somebody or something like that. From a, from a Christian perspective, I think it's troubling that that is now the norm, right? It didn't used to be that way. When did the, uh, how many of you grew up with the Pledge of Allegiance? And how many of you, like, was it mandated that you had to say the Pledge of Allegiance in front of, you know, at the beginning of class, that kind of thing? No. Different era? Different era, yeah. So most of us that um, grew up in that era, that was part of how you started your, uh, your, your day at school. How many of you 
what was also included was some form of prayer, if not the Lord's Prayer, some sort of prayer that was read over the, uh, the loudspeaker at the school. How many of you had that? Of, you, of those of you that did, how many of you had it in public school? Just a few of us. So it was in public school uh, when I was a little kid in Houston, and then we moved to Fort Worth. That was still, you know, basically, I think in the South, that still would have been considered part of how you start your day. By the time I got in high school, it was we will all bow our heads and have a silent prayer. All right. So there already some shifting had had occurred. So, again, see, from a Christian perspective, we look at those omissions and that troubles us. And it ought to, frankly, because, again, it's either not using the name of God in, in ways that are appropriate, obviously, or eliminating the name of God altogether. For Old Testament Jews, the name of God carried the authority and the power of God. There was no casualness about, uh, about the use of God's name. So a question that I have, and we may have already answered this, in what ways are you seeing the effect of the diminished use of titles of respect in our culture today? And you could extend that beyond titles that are uh, not just in terms of God, but it's also in terms of, uh, of people. Have you noticed this at all? When I was in the seminary, there was already kind of a movement that was suggesting that it was okay to call your pastor by his first name. And maybe you've seen that in some churches where that, and this is Lutheran churches, where that's referred to is that we call our pastor by his first name instead of calling him pastor. And so I remember when I first got out of the seminary, I was kind of, because I was kind of in that in-between space, of did I really want people to call me pastor? Did I want people to call me reverend? Did I want people to call me Jimmy? You know, what was it, Right. <laughs> You know, and I remember to some degree being somewhat affected by that because the title to me felt like that I was one step removed from people, that it was getting in the way of my, my ability to be able to uh, connect with people. By the same token, there, if it's too casual, then there's a kind of like, well, you, you, I would not have your respect or I would not have earned or somehow I would have lost uh, lost your respect. And, and so there is still some, a little bit of that trend. When I went through the seminary, when Pastor Coleman and I went through the seminary, wearing a collar, you know what I'm talking about? The little collar thing? Okay. Wearing a collar was uh, not seen as being a, a, a okay thing. So all of us went through the seminary wearing uh, shirts and ties and golf shirts and stuff like that. Today, and Pastor Welmer is a good example of that, isn't it? Because from day one, when he comes here on Sunday mornings, he's wearing a collar. And so for him, that's like a sign of respect. And it's like, so you can see generationally the difference between us in terms of that respect. Okay, a couple hands. We had a couple hands. Yeah, Pop. Well, when you talk about being one step removed, yeah. should we call you Brother Jim? Yes, just don't call me Brother Jimmy, okay? Don't do that. Well, okay, so in some uh, denominations, they don't call their pastors uh, pastor. I mean, they might, but the, and that, for sure they don't call them reverend. They call them brother. And they kind of talk about their pastor as being their preacher rather than necessarily their, their pastor. So sometimes it's still respect, but it wouldn't be considered respect in a, in a Lutheran setting. It probably would be considered respect maybe in a Baptist uh, setting or in a uh, uh, non-denominational setting, for sure. Yeah. Somebody else had their hand up. Yeah. Well, just Stephen, uh, teaching college classes. Yeah. A lot of people called me Mrs. Tobobbin. Mrs. Tobobbin, yes. But the majority, I told them it was okay to call me Mary Jane. Yeah. Okay. So I made that choice also. That's right. Say, That's I right. Yeah. Be called either one. That's right. And, and did they think of you as their friend then as a result of that? Um, and, and, and talk to you like you were their friend rather than you had that position of, of well, as soon as you would give them the grade and the <laughs> mark up their paper with red ink, I'm sure they, they saw the, 
Yes, I'm sure. Yes, absolutely. Yes, Debbie. Well, in my family, and this is even with friends now that yeah. are very liberal, is that my family came from the north, and my aunt is a very women's living kind of person. Okay. So she has changed all the wording um, in our prayers. Oh, in your prayers even. Okay, all the wording has gone. And it is very obnoxious, and for those of us that still prefer and like to be reverent about it, yeah. it's like she says it so loud, and it's like this part of our family is like, oh my God. she will say at the end, instead of saying amen, yeah. she says a one. <laughs> Did you hear that? Did you hear what she said? Yeah, so it's just, so I guess some feminism has crept into her way of doing things. So that what Debbie was saying was that she has, is it, did you say that was your, your aunt? Okay. Has changed all the words of all the prayers. And let's see, we're talking, are we talking about Catholic sort of? Okay. And so, you know, in Catholic liturgy, the prayers are like our prayers, um, and, and so, uh, but she's changed all the words. And then at the end, instead of saying, amen, a, a, I'm not even going to be able to say it now. She says, a woman. Invite her to come here some Sunday. That would be awesome if she did. Yeah. You know, it just, it, it sort of tells you again, the extent to which people, number one, recognize that what you say publicly and how you say it does, in fact, preach a message. See, a lot of people say, oh, it's just what I said. Uh, it isn't what you just said. It's that it's actually representing a view of things. Now, obviously, if you're, and if you're doing it in a kind of a uh, sort of obnoxious way, well, then that says also more about you as a person. But it's inescapable that what I say out loud bears witness to what I believe, even if I don't think it does. Other people hear it and they make judgments, perhaps legitimate, that, oh, I see where you're at because of how you're praying that prayer or how you're saying that out loud. Yeah, Kevin. I have a question. Yeah. The gentleman over there referenced how Roosevelt's speech, you know, parts of it were taken out. Sure. Reference God. Yeah. You referenced growing up that, you know, early on we were praying in church and then it moved to silent prayer. And yeah. It moved to you can't even talk about God in school. Right. As someone that this is your lifelong thing, yeah. why, what, what would motivate people to just do such a hard shift yeah. from a society of faith? Why would you do that? That's a good question. He's asking why, what would account for that shift? That why would there be such a, um, a robust shift from it was okay and we all did it. Now, maybe we just did it because that's how you started school and we didn't really think about it. I mean, there is that possibility that you just do it out of rote memory or that's the norm of the school, and if you don't do it, you'll get in trouble, so we all do it. I mean, maybe there's some of that, but how did it go from that to way over here, which represents um, not even a not doing it, but there's a kind of a disdain toward it that says that there's really something wrong with you if you, you know, where, how did that shift occur? I, and I'm not a, uh, a student of uh, sociology enough to know, but I I, we're in it. We're living in it. And that's that's a good, great question. Yeah. You know, I think it started 50 years ago. 50 years ago. Okay. 1968. 1968. Um, we were in a state where society generally conformed to the institutions. Okay. And then with Vietnam, uh, the institutions failed. Yeah. And we have seen a tremendous increase in disdain for institutions in general. The erosion of respect for institutions has, and, is significant. And yeah. our language has become really angry. Mm -hmm. you know, in other words, you, in the 50s, you would have seen Republicans and Democrats, I'll say, negotiating whatever they were talking about. Yeah. Now, we just call each other names. Right. So there is a, a loss of civility yes. 
but you wonder if that's not related to the loss of the foundational belief in those institutions of which faith and God and those kinds of things are key to that. You bet. Yeah. Also, multiculturalism and diversity, which are good ideas. Yeah. You know, to start sure. with. Of course. Such a religion, almost, that you're going to bend over backwards not to offend one person and go ahead and offend. Yeah. It's okay if you offend the majority. Right. But for goodness sakes, don't offend one person who might. Yeah. Yeah. And, and some of that is we don't know what to do when we do offend. So if I don't know what to do when I do offend you, then I'm thinking, okay, well, then the best thing for me to do is not offend you. But what do I do then if it offends my faith to not offend you? <laughs> See, what do I do with that? I mean, that's the, isn't that the dilemma? And so then as a Christian, for some people, just by virtue of the fact that I am a Christian, that's offensive because it implies some things in their minds and maybe mine too about then what does that say about you if you're not? And so again, see, it's a great time to be the church. It is because, because if you are the church and you represent it well, you're going to get smacked around. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) That is fantastic. That's fantastic because then that's part of the witness gig. See, that means that you're actually doing the thing that the church is supposed to be doing. Now, again, okay, there's ways to do it and we can be nice when we, I mean, we can do that. But, but the fact of doing it means that you're going to get blowback. And, and that's fantastic. That's wonderful. Okay. Yeah. Hand up. Yes. I was going to say, um, as a teacher, um, I, I, my kids know, I talked about stuff in the sermon, like when I talked about laughing, I talked about that in my class. My kids know day one, I may be a science teacher, but I'm still a Christian and I talk about things. Yeah. And I tell them, I'm not trying to offend you, I'm just sharing what I believe. Yeah. And you're welcome to take it whichever you want. Yeah. But in terms of um, like the moment of silence, there are a lot of teachers do not enforce that in their classroom. Okay. They let the kids do whatever they please. But yeah. um, my kids know from day one there are rules in my classroom and you're going to follow them no matter what. Yes. Well, <laughs> I would be happy. No, I would be. I would be happy in your. I probably would be happy. Okay. But they know what to expect. Then, if you yeah. have rules day one, sure. Then they know the expectation. Is the problem is we we definitely call school customer service anymore. Yeah. Because it's about making the parents happy. Yeah. It's not about doing what's right for the children anymore. Yeah. So and what to, will the parents do? They'll hire a lawyer and they'll sue. Yeah, and so again, that's the blowback. That's what we're feeling. That's what. And so if we're getting the blowback. What the Bible says is rejoice and be glad. Now, I know that's a hard sell, but actually that means that a message is being sent as opposed to the message of nothing being sent. And if, if the message is that nothing's being sent, then what does that say about how significant that is to me? And that's kind of what we have to, uh, uh, we have to uh, think about. It's very hard for me to now think because Triton just walked in <laughs> Because right now I'm having this urge to go over there and relieve him of the fact that he feels all alone by himself right now. (laughs) Okay, well, let's get into the last part here then, because now we can talk about not in terms of what is forbidden, which is the careless use of God's name, but to think of it in terms of what is being promoted which is the respectful use of God's name. And so uh, we can turn uh, back to kind of Martin Luther because he had some, some really wonderful practical things to say in the, in the meaning. And I know you already know this because you memorized this when you were in seventh, and eighth grade. And I know that you review it weekly in your life. So, uh, but let's read that together. What Luther has to say, we should fear and love God that we may not curse, swear, use witchcraft, lie, or deceive by his name, but call upon it in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. Doesn't that just send chills of warmth through your, through your uh, body as you remember uh, saying that in front of the church on examination day uh, in your catechism uh, training? Okay, foundational truth number 12. The first commandment is about where your heart is, your heart, like who is your God? 
The second commandment is about the integrity of the connection of your heart to your lips. That's what it's about. See, is there a connection? And is that connection, does it have integrity? Or is it separate? What I believe and what I say are two different things. And please don't read anything in between them. We may think that. But the world around us would say, okay, then I know what you believe on the basis of the words that you use. So what does he mean when he says curse or swear? To invoke God's name with the intent of bringing calamity upon someone else. If you've ever heard or slipped up and said the word GD, what is it that you are saying? What is it that you are praying in that moment? That God would what? Yeah, absolutely. You're calling the wrath of God onto that person. Now, again, the careless use of the way that that phrase is used today in movies, on YouTube, in stand-up comedy, and in many people's walks of life in terms of their occupation, because some settings... People say, oh, he swears like a sailor. And we all kind of know what that means, okay? That's a careless use of God's name. Now, are you actually hoping that God will bring fire and brimstone down upon that person, open up the bowels of the earth, and he falls in just like in the Old Testament? Is that what you're actually asking God to do when you use the phrase GD? I hope not, right? But usually that phrase is used when what emotion is present? Anger. You hardly ever hear it. Hardly ever hear it when people are being respectful in a given moment. So he's saying have integrity and work at being, having that integrity between what you believe and what you say so that there can be a consistency there. Okay, the second one is lying and asserting its truth. By attaching God's name. And people, again, in that very sort of casual way, oh, I swear to God. Oh, I swear on my mother's grave. Jesus one time had something to say about that. He said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And anything beyond that comes from the devil. He was pretty blunt about that. Okay. But again, see, it's that, that casual use of God's name or somehow that Using God's name will assert the truth of something when, in fact, it isn't true at all. And that may say more about the person speaking than anything else. Okay, use witchcraft. Very common in Luther's day. It's, uh, it's common in our day as well, but you probably don't see it as much uh, except uh, among people that go out of their way to promote themselves as being uh, uh, devil worshipers or uh, Satan cult uh, folks. But it's the idea of engaging in satanic arts or dabbling in occultish practices. What would an example of an occultish practice be? We got Halloween coming up. So, you know, there's going to be all kinds of stuff like that around Halloween. Do what? Fortune telling, yeah. Um, tarot cards or looking at your hand and, and reading, things like that. Ouija boards. How many of you had a Ouija board when you were a kid? My cousin did. Yeah, I had this cousin down in Houston, and she, she, she convinced us that it was real and that she could tell the future. And she was a very kind of dra dramatic person anyway. And she, so we would sit there and she would, we'd ask a question. Like, we're like in second grade, okay? Not like the other day. And so she's moving it like this and we're just going, whoa, whoa. So, you know, I mean, to some degree, okay, child's game. But are there real people that actually do uh, Ouija boards and things like that? Yeah. So dabbling, see, dabbling. People say, well, I'm a Christian and it's not going to hurt me. My comeback always is if you take a match into your hand and light it and hold on to it, eventually what will happen? And when you get burned, then what will happen? And it's too late because you already got burned. So it's just being wise and, and being uh, uh, maybe a little bit more bring your A game too. And then lie or deceive by a name. This is uh, some more quotes from Luther. If I lie or deceive, in other words, I assert 
the truth of something by invoking God's name when in fact it isn't. Okay. It's dressing up oneself with God's name. It's making a pretty show or claiming to be right, representing God's word as something it is not. And Luther said, it doesn't matter if we're talking about worldly business or refined matters of faith and doctrine. For him, it wasn't just about how you are in church. For Luther, it was how you are in the workplace. That was still where the, the integrity of what you believe and what you say was, was, uh, was paramount for him. Okay. Secondly, it would be advertising yourself as a Christian in order to take advantage of the trust that is associated with God's name. So uh, certainly dishonest business practices would be a part of that. All right. But we see this a lot today with, with people that are uh, defrauding people online where they'll say, I'm raising money for so-and-so who had this bad accident and we're all Christians in this group. And would you please give money a GoFundMe sort of thing for this money? And then it turns out that it, it wasn't that at all. And they were stealing from that, from that person that would fit in, uh, in terms of what Luther is saying. And then uh, secondly, using the inherent trust and authority of a Christian leader to abuse people and then use them for your own evil ends. And again, um, that's a lot of that is what's coming out in the news with respect to Catholic and Protestant churches and uh, the amount of and the level of and the, and the heinousness of the abuse of children and other people. Now, now, in a little bit lighter note, how many of you advertise yourselves as Christian? So what is your uh, uh, strategy for advertising the fact that you're a Christian? What is your definition of advertising? Well, I love that word. But some people raise their hands, so they must have some idea what I'm asking. So, John, what do you mean by that? What, what, how do you advertise? Not on today, but I have a, a, a necklace cross that my son gave me. And, uh, oh, yeah. More than out of respect for him, and, but also as a Christian. Yeah. And it's not just jewelry. It's not just accessorizing for you. Some people it is. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I mean. Advertise is sort of the idea that we're, we're in the business of promoting, and I can promote in a verbal, active way. Maybe I can promote in a little bit more passive way. So how many of you on your car have one of those little fish things on the back of your car? Anybody have that? Yeah. Uh, and I don't because I don't put stuff on the back of my car. But I have noticed that there is little correlation between the presence of that little fish and whether the person's a good driver or not. Okay. So I just wanted to get that out there. Right. But again, it's kind of one of those things where if you have that on your car or if you have the name Messiah Lutheran Church on your license plates thing, be nice when you're driving, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, be aware, be thinking about how other people, when you're in a parking lot somewhere and you like zip in and cut somebody off because you got the closer parking spot and then they're driving by glaring at you. They're reading on your license plate, you know, where you're from and who you are. Now, again, it is God going to punish you. No, it isn't that. But it's the integrity, right? It's the integrity between what I'm saying I am and how I'm being and it makes you wonder how come who I am and what I am isn't translating into how I am. And I know nobody's perfect. I know that part, but just to be more aware of that or take that little thing that says Messiah Lutheran church off your car, <laughs> right? And put some other church name on there. That would be really good. <laughs> that would be perfect. Yeah. Go ahead and do that. Yeah. Yeah. I get comments on my license. Ooh, did you hear what she said? She hers on the back says eternity smoking or non-smoking. <laughs> That's very good. What but see, that puts you in a position where then that has to impact. Because otherwise people if purely on the basis of how you drive and then how you act when people honk at you. <laughs> You may be indicating smoking or not smoking, all right? Oh, we know where she's going, all right? Okay, so well, what's the respectful use of God's name? 
what do we do? We call upon it in every trouble. Uh, Psalm 50, 15 says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. And what? You will honor me. See, that's giving respect. We also pray to, to the Lord. That's another way to respectfully use his name. The Philippians 2, 9 and 10. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, talking about Jesus, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should what? Should bow. That's in prayer in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And then finally, that we pray, praise and give thanks that we live the attitude of our heart, attributing to God all of your life and then speaking with your lips words that give credit and praise to him. That's the deal. See, and do, do, do we all do it perfectly? No, it isn't that. But it's to be aware that when I do that, I never quite know who's watching. I never quite know who's listening. And, and that listening and that watching is itself a witness to what it is I believe and what it is that's important. So, and plus, it just treats people better. You know, if I'm mad all the time or if I'm angry and I'm using all these swear words and stuff, that, that doesn't indicate that I'm treating people well. And that's the other piece to this, I think, that we don't want to uh, forget. Okay, good stuff. We got done with the second commandment today. We should be very proud of ourselves today. All right. Yeah, let's close a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time that we share together today. Thank you for the way that your word speaks to us, particularly the second commandment, as it reminds us who is God, who are we, and uh, what opportunity we have to, uh, to give witness to that every day. Uh, Lord, our, our world just feels very chaotic uh, these days, feels very uh, uh, disheveled. It feels very like there's no foundation. And so what a, what a wonderful time to be able to share with people what is the foundation and what is the source of the hope and joy we have in life in Jesus. So whatever opportunities uh, you send our way uh, this week, dear Lord, to be a part of that, uh, help, help us in that. And then keep us mindful, Lord, of the importance of the t integrity between what it is that we believe, who we are in you, and then how our words are shaped by that. Watch over us, dear Lord, and be with us. Be with those of our class that are over in the Holy Land and uh, uh, watch over them and bring them safely back at the end of this week. And we pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. If you want to join the discussion, please send us an email with your question or comment to messiahlutheranpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to read it during an upcoming class. You can also go to our website at www.messiahlutheranpodcast.com, where you can find links to all the previous episodes and copies of our class notes in case you want to follow along with each episode. You can also find out where to subscribe to the podcast at messiahlutheranpodcast.com slash subscribe for links on how you can find us on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other podcast catcher of your choice. If you feel like we have given you any value during this podcast, please consider going to our podcast page in iTunes and leaving a rating or a review. Not only will that provide us with valuable feedback that we can use to improve the podcast for you, but it will help this podcast to climb the iTunes rankings and help us spread God's message to anyone willing to listen. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.